This is episode 28 with Nick Martin. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface podcast. My guest today, Nick Martin, is the CEO. Actually, he's a marketing veteran turned startup founder and co-founder of the Joe Coffee app, a mobile ordering app for independent coffee shops. Nick started the company with his brother, Brandon, a couple of years ago. And after many days and nights working on getting the company off the ground, Nick and his team finally secured $1 million in their first funding round. I invited Nick to share his entrepreneurial journey Uh, learn a little bit about behind the scenes on this uh, first round of funding and what it took to get there and talk about the skills he learned along the way that have helped him the most, uh, how he works and his approach to life as he continues to grow. Nick, Welcome. <laughs> Hey, thank you. I'm flattered that you that you had me. Hopefully, I don't mess up too bad on the, no. <laughs> on the interview here. No, it's all right. Just, we, we met at the UDAP. I think we're both marketing students. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, where I met you. I don't, I don't remember if we actually had a class together or not, but we, we had a class. I remember, yeah, okay. I remember having a class because I remember, um, I, think it was, I think it was something to do in entrepreneurship because I think you already had a business going at the time. Something oh, yeah, I was, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I remember, yeah, I remember talking to you then. So you made an impression on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a it's been a long time, and I know that uh, you. First of all, how how did you choose uh, your career in marketing? What was the the journey to get there in the first place? Growing up, so I grew up on in Central Washington, and uh, I remember feeling like one of the big challenges was just that you don't you don't get to witness a lot of like what potential careers would be. Um, it was hard for me to see past like being a manager at McDonald's or something. I didn't really know what was out there. My mom was actually a radio personality in Eastern Washington. And a lot of the work that she would do was helping clients figure out some like advertising plans and, and things like that. And so that was like the most interesting thing that I had any visibility to. And so <laughs> junior year, senior year of high school, when it's like, what are you going to do? I just kind of like grabbed onto that. You know, marketing has opportunity to be creative and it just seemed like things move fast and, and so I kind of grabbed onto it early and stuck with it. Now looking back everything you've been through through your college years and your first experience working in the in the world what do you think have been the most important skills you learned that have helped you the most to where you are today? I think the approach that I've always had that I think has has been really effective for me and continues to be is I think that it's two things. One is um, I always take the approach of just wanting to listen and learn on things. So even when jobs get kind of rough and um, not particularly enjoying certain aspects, I always kind of have this mindset that, well, I'm like learning. There's always stuff you can you can learn from, whether it's um, the, the task at hand and just learning different things about yourself and about, um, and about the actual work itself or the people that you interact with when you're doing that. I mean, there's there's so much you can learn from from anybody that you meet in any given day. Um, so I think like the skill of finding ways to stay motivated when things get really rough or when it just feels like, you know, things aren't really moving the direction or the pace that, that you want it to um, and having the patience just to feel like there's something to be gleaned from that experience no, no matter what it is. 
I think that's probably the the biggest skill that has sort of carried over all the way from like my first jobs through uh, my career at Microsoft and Zillow and doing consulting to mm. what I'm doing today. What what at what point did you started thinking? You know what this marketing path to VP of marketing? You decided. You know what? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I want to do the corporate corporate ladder thing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy. You got, you got like, this is like, like all day type of conversation. Yeah. Actually there was like a really, um, I think the first moment where I started thinking like, Hey, maybe like this corporate ladder thing isn't for me, uh, was when I was at Microsoft and in terms of what was going on in my life at the time, um, I had just gotten married. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think, did we have, no, we didn't have kids on the way yet, but We'd gotten married. I had like a mortgage for the first time, and um, and at work, you know, I was getting I was getting paid well, mm -hmm. and so on paper, like everything was the way that it, it felt like I should be going. You know, the first clue was I I saw some folks in roles where it's like, okay, well, if I'm here in like five ten years, like this could be me potentially, and um, and you know, at Microsoft Microsoft is a great place to work. Uh, they they have a ton of awesome stuff going for it, and it can vary a lot based on the group that you're in. But the folks that I was witnessing just didn't seem super happy in the role that they were in. And my personal experience was, even though I was I was successful, I guess you'd say in the role, there was like a type of stress that that I wasn't super comfortable with. So in my mind, I think about it like there's a type of stress when. Like you're creating and you're doing something, you're leading it, and it's like, you know, you the the stress and, and it's what I feel right now is you have this big opportunity in front of you and like you just want to work as hard as you can. There's like stress to just like achieve that. Mm -hmm. And then there's a different type of stress, which which is, well, if I mess up, like what's gonna happen? Like if I mess up or things don't go right, it's like this house of cards can come tumbling down, or like what if what if this isn't uh something that I really wanna do? And that my mind started going into into that mode. And I started um, becoming really anxious. Like I started going to work and feeling like more and more anxious and just thinking, well, you know, I just need to work a little harder. I just need to find ways to, to manage this. And then it all kind of came to a head. And I, for like the first time uh, in my life, I was in a, in a meeting and we were presenting to like this new GM that came in. And I was like going through the slide deck on like my strategy for the year and like what we were going to do. And there was this like weird moment where I looked up and he wasn't paying attention. He was like looking at his laptop doing something oh. and it like broke my focus for a second. And then all of a sudden, um, it threw me into a literal panic attack. Like I had a literal, <laughs> a literal panic attack where I couldn't like physically speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had the team members around the table like rescued me and I like, you know, finished the presentation and everything was okay. Like it was embarrassing to go through that. But that caused me to like take a step back and start thinking, like, what got me to that position? Like, why, why would that happen? Like, it was so weird. It felt, it felt just so out of the blue. I hadn't experienced something like that before. Why you had a panic attack? Because you, the guy, because the guy wasn't even paying attention. Well, I think that was just like a, tr a trigger, right? Like, so I had all this stuff that was kind of building, like pressure. So like pressure from a mortgage and a family, and yeah. like here's your, here's your plan, and like. You know, a project can be cool and interesting, which which the work that I was doing, I, I felt like it was, but I didn't feel super connected to it. I didn't feel like mm. this is like my purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I felt like I'm I'm just kind of pretending in this role. Like I'm I just don't want like I almost this feeling of like I don't want to be found out <laughs> or, or, or something. And you know, there's some elements of um, 
like imposter syndrome and stuff like that, that I think I find a little bit in, in general. And I think that moment just kind of triggered that experience. And then the subsequent me thinking through the why behind like, is this really the right path for me? Because in that moment, I was just like, I'm so much emotional stuff is going into me being in this role. And like, he wasn't paying attention in that, in that moment. And it just made me stop, like, not realize. I just felt so insignificant. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, what I'm doing just doesn't matter to this person. And that's a gem right there. Yeah. So, the behavior of somebody in a leadership position yeah. affected your engagement with your work. Absolutely. Okay. And then going really quick back to the stress, because yeah. it, it, it looks like it was burning you out. Yeah. Was this stress some sort of fear that if the project would fall down, that you would lose your job and that you were scared of that happening because of the family? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like, okay, I'm on this path. It's, it, it felt like this weird paradox where the more successful you are in a role, you move up, like your salary gets mm -hmm. bigger, then your life kind of, you know, the, the demands, your bills kind of end up meeting that. You get the mortgage and things like that. And then you get in a position where it feels like, well, now I, I just took all my choices away. <laughs> you know, like I have to make this much money or else like what? Like what's going to happen to my family? Like all these people are Ooh. depending on me. So if I'm not doing this thing or I'm not doing something at this similar level, um, I can't support my family anymore. And like there's all of a sudden it feels like if you want to make a change, it, it feels like you can't, you know, you feel stuck. And that's kind of, that's I think what triggered that feeling of panic. Like I can't not do this. And it, even if no, I were to leave, yeah, it's like <laughs> even if I did, you know, a different role and that was kind of the the beginning of me like, well, maybe I need to find something else. And, and I ended up going to Zillow um, for similar reasons. But it just felt like, oh my gosh, I don't have any options. Like I have to do this, and what if I'm not happy this way? And then I just you start feeling panic. Zillow was a smaller operation than Microsoft. Yeah, Zillow Zillow was smaller. So I um I left to Zillow had a had an opportunity to do a, a cool role over there with some really great people, and and it was really because in my mind I was thinking, okay, you know, I've been sort of in the Microsoft realm for a long time. I need like a change of scenery. I need like a different company overall, and um, Zillow has an awesome reputation for just work-life balance and feeling more startup-y. I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger and and are, you know, have resources of a big company, but their culture and stuff is very different than what I had experienced at Microsoft. And, you know, they sort of take pride in uh, moving fast and things like that. And, and it felt like, okay, I could go over here to Zillow and have opportunity to maybe like bounce around and find different roles, or it just felt like there was more flexibility and it could be more fluid and and things like that. But then, and this is what made me take another drastic leap later, was, I mean, even in that environment, which was really great. And um, there's a whole bunch I could talk to you about, just things that I learned from their CEO, Spencer Raskoff, mm -hmm. that like really shaped the way that I think about stuff now. And so, it was a total blessing to work there for a couple of years. But even there, got into the same thing. Like I, after about a year, I think I had that very similar feelings from the moment that I experienced at Microsoft. Mm. But then it got really bad. Uh, everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, I had a random like panic attack. Again, doing a presentation in front of like a room of like 30 people. Like phys just totally like, felt disoriented. Like could not continue the presentation. Like super embarrassing, horrible. Was that because, they were, again, you they were not paying attention? You felt insignificant? I was just – I was going through the presentation. And, I, you know, it's funny. I've like hashed this over in my mind over and over again. In my mind, when I look back on it, it was, I think, because 
I didn't feel like I can't fake the funk. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like at some point when you don't totally feel, at least me, I think other people can do it differently. Just the way I'm mm-hmm. wired though, I didn't feel super connected to the work. I didn't feel that I was doing. Um, I didn't feel uh, like a real sense of purpose in what I was doing. And so it's like, I'm just kind of going through the motions it felt like. And something triggered me to where I sort of lost my place in the presentation. And then I just kind of like, I went to panic mode, went through that. But then it became like with that kind of experience, you start being afraid of having another panic attack and that triggers you into panic attacks. So then I got into a point where I couldn't, I couldn't be in a meeting, like a small meeting with a group where people are doing like status updates. I started getting disoriented. I would, it was, Mm. it was, I mean, it was like definite like life crisis mode. I was thinking I can't, I can't show up at work. Like I'm not going to be able to physically bring myself to do the work required in this. Was this happening because you felt there was a disconnect between what you were doing in these companies and I guess uh, your mission in life or was it more that you were thinking about something else while at work? Maybe perhaps like yeah. the, the, the entrepreneurial dream. Like yeah. which which of those? It's funny. It, for me, so, you know, you mentioned my, my brother and I are the co-founders on, on Joe, the original co-founders and we brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lenny is an equal, our CTO is an is a equal co-founder. He very much was like the forever dreams of entrepreneurship and things like that. Your brother. My brother. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the thing that got me to that place was it, not the work necessarily. It just it, it just wasn't like what I felt like I was meant to be doing or something. Like I didn't feel a sense of drive and, and passion. And I, I don't know. Some of it I think is just how corporations are set up and just the, how expectations and just how it's more rigid and things like that. And like your role gets very narrow and maybe you want to be doing these other things, but you can't because your role is this. And mm. it, yeah. And I think it triggers just a lot of like, you know, as a first person in, in my family to go to college, there's like stuff that just kind of sticks with you on that. Like, do I belong here and all that? Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, I think it's a lot of different things. It wasn't me being like, Oh, I should be out here creating businesses and doing all this stuff. It was, it was just feeling like, not knowing what the right answer was, but just feeling like, I don't think this is right for me. Like, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Let's imagine uh, five years from now, mm. Joe App is as big as Silo. Mm-hmm. What would you do differently to keep Nick? Oh. <laughs> That's a good question. If Joe were to get that big, we would have to along the way find some way of operating the business where we sort of threw away a lot of the conventional stuff. And I don't know what the the system is. I think there's a lot more. I mean, the way we're building it right now, Joe right now is very collaborative and like no ego. And it's about not what you your experience was or what you're doing right now, but we what we think we can't, like we can do what we're capable of, like very much a growth mindset type culture, which I think is just like absolutely necessary. And so for me, the day that that sort of went away or the day that I didn't believe that that was like a truth and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to, even if it was my <laughs> company still, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Now, I want to start uh, transitioning into Joab. Mm-hmm. When did this all start and how did you approach turning your idea into action Yeah. while I believe you were working at a, at Zilla, a full-time yeah. job? Yeah. The sort of origin story with, with Joe was uh it started years ago man um uh gosh i think it was like the fall of 2015 so it was before starbucks actually released their pilot 
for their mobile order ahead. Mm. And my brother and I were, you know, like I, he's like the stone cold entrepreneur. Like is all that's just always been in his blood since he was a kid. When he was a kid, actually, I'd pay him like a dollar to do chores, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to do my chores. He was just like always hustling. Um, is and he, then, is he younger than you? Yeah, he's a year younger. That's funny. My my brother, he's running his own thing too. Like, he yeah, he's always doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He would like put on a little apron and stuff, and when he was like a kid, and be like, "Is there anything I can do?" Like, you know, like God, okay, yeah. this is the rest of my allowance, man. Like, wash my door. <laughs> <laughs> he would do that. Um, but we, uh, I mean, we've always just there's a there's like little projects here and there that we've always tried to work on. And one, I think it was like after Thanksgiving or something like that, we were. Driving home from central Washington back to Seattle. And we were just like spitballing ideas and stuff. And we went to, we wanted to stop and get a coffee. And all of our favorite spots, they just had like a, like nine car drive through line. They were just, you know, these long waits. And we had to like get back to Seattle. And we just started talking about that, how ironic it is that like these, this model that was meant for people to like drive up and then get their coffee and drive off. Uh, when we started doing the research and I started just like, you know, Googling on my phone, they have like some of the longest wait times in any quick food service industry. Oh, wow. And it, and it makes sense, right? Like you get a line, you have this this weird thing where you can only take one order at a time. Like you have this whole queue of like nine cars where you could get all their orders. Like if you had visibility, if there's like the order floating above each one of those, the, the barista could work so much more quickly. You could do like two, three orders at a time, but instead you like take one, make it, they leave. Then you take the next one, make mm-hmm. it, they leave. And so we were just talking about how you could solve that with technology. And uh, and we started talking about mobile order ahead. One of the very first insights we had was like, well, if you did that, you couldn't do one for every shop. You know, you'd need to bring them all under one app because for a consumer, like who wants to download an app for this shop and then an app for that unless shop. Unless there's Starbucks and they're everywhere. Yeah, unless you're right. Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. And and that was the other insight is like no single independent shop or even like the larger chains like a like a Ladro, you still can't compete with like a Starbucks who has a no. shop on every quarter. You Nobody's kinda... going to download the app even if they create one. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, which is a conversation we still have with some coffee shops. But um, so so that was the idea. We started like, I think right when we got home, uh, we started like mocking things up. We brought in the designer and we were just trying to figure out like, how do you even do this? And we were just, let's just do this as a side project with the idea that maybe we could stand this up and sort of organically grow it. And then it could just become a business and we could. Was this uh, designer a uh, paid designer or is this the first uh, recruit full equity? <laughs> no, this was, yeah, this was paid. Everything okay. was paid all the way up until like very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, just paid out of our pockets. Um, you and your brother? Yeah, me and my brother. And then uh, our timeline, <laughs> life happened a bunch with our timeline that made it really long. So, um, so I think that year my brother had his first kid. And so there's like a big chunk of time in between. Uh, Your brother has a kid too. Yeah, he's got a kid. I got yeah, identical twin. Yeah, boys. you had the twins. Yeah, great, great, <laughs> great timing to just do this startup. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyway, and just stuff like that kept happening. I, mean, I think we counted up. We went through hiring and moving on from seventeen contract engineers, devs. Before you were paying we, seventeen contract engineers. Well, one at a time, but we just went through, through the multiple, just trying to figure out like how do we stand this thing up, and we were just paying for everything out of pocket. Because you guys didn't have any understanding of that. No, yeah, and actually, at one point, so we got so frustrated with just how tough it was and how expensive this whole process was that Brendan, being the hardcore entrepreneur he was, went 
to General Assembly to learn how to code so that we could build the prototype ourselves and oh, not wow. have to do, yeah. Oh, wow. So, so he went and did that. And that's something that, you know, he had an inkling for already. So he did that, then led a build. We got a prototype live. He built? Yeah, he led the build. So he, yeah, he did pieces of it, but then we also were still subcontracting. Well, he was able to understand. Understand it. To yeah. And he, yeah. And he, yeah. And he would get in and do some of the code as well. That made it go much more quickly. Like we knew exactly what skill sets we needed to hire and we understand how the tech stacks went together and all that. Um, so he was, you know, he just powered through all that stuff. We got to a point where I think it was what January of 2017, we had a prototype and we got it in like a handful of shops and uh, Pegasus downtown specifically did a little news thing, did a promotion there with Pegasus. And we had shops getting like 40, 50 orders a day. And so the whole idea I would have like, totally used. I used to go there. Yeah. I would have totally oh, really? used your app. So I'm familiar with the, the scene there. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that was our test to see like, is there something here? Like, is there an appetite with consumers for this type of thing? And will coffee shops like buy into this? And um, so that was like a super successful pilot like test for us. And then that's when we were like, okay, let's get like serious about this and make it happen. Released our beta this last November. Mm-hmm. It went live. You know, it was an app that the coffee shops could download and the consumer could could download as well. And we were just like, let's get like 10 shops and just see what the data is and then start pitching investors and being like, there's a story here. What, what would you say what has been the most challenging obstacle you had to overcome to get your company off the ground? Yeah. Um, funding, man. Like, you know, we talked about the anxiety and stuff like that that I was going through. That didn't go away when I left, when I left Zillow. Like I was still, that was like, I was still kind of in crisis mode and I got put into the role where now, <laughs> you know, th- you, when you have when you have something you got to get over, man, and like the universe just keeps putting it in front of you until you sort of overcome it. I mean, uh, a couple years ago, like even doing this would trigger me and and have me start going into panic attack mode. Um, so then I had to, you know, I had the task in front of me where I needed to go out and start pitching angels and talk to advisors and pitch VCs and stuff, which is like, talk about a triggering experience. You know, that's way scarier. Like not even just individual angels, but like a room full of angel investors that are like critical and going to be poking holes in your business model and stuff. So like way, uh, a much more challenging environment than just going through like status meetings uh, in a corporate setting. How, how did you go about getting those opportunities to be in front of those people? Yeah. So we, um, how'd we start? So Brennan, um, had some connections. We brought in a couple of business advisors that just like heard what we were doing and were like, hey, you guys have a really interesting idea. Let's like, you know, I'm happy to like, let me help you out. Um, so we uh, we started... And for those who don't know, a business advisor, yeah. what is the role? How do you get one? Do you pay yeah. them? Do you don't pay them? What's the yeah. situation? Yeah, we don't pay them. So um, we did, uh, so equity advisor. So we do sort of like a standard quarter of a percent equity essentially. So they come on and they agree to dedicate a certain amount of time to help you with your business and like give you access to their their business network and make introductions and you know here just sort of you know they're folks that uh, have done the startup thing or have done the business thing before they know what it takes to be successful so they're there as like a mentor how um, do you even know you need to go get business advisors yeah you know just talking to folks we didn't know until <laughs> um and Bre- this is, a, a, again, another spot where I'm sort of like not as good at. And Brendan, is, is, it's like a real skill of his. He, he's great at talking to people. You know, I have this approach where if I'm working on something, I kind of don't want people to know. I don't want to talk about it until it's like it's yeah. in a good place, you know. Yeah. And then I just want them to hear from something else and then I'll talk about it. Brendan's really good at putting himself out there, not allowing himself to sort of like 
get shy, I guess. Even when things aren't going super well, he'll still he'll still talk about it. So he was just talking about. I think he in, uh, ran into somebody at like a wedding and was talking about you know Joe and and knew he was an entrepreneur. So I was like, oh yeah, let me tell you what we're doing. And and Eric, yeah, Eric was our first first advisor, and and that relationship was really important. So he was advisor number one, and just by virtue of us now somebody else knows about it and is like advising us we like have to keep moving forward you know even when it gets really tough and then so he started getting us to understand what we needed to do then brennan ran into uh gosh i think every single advisor we have was a relationship that brennan found somehow in one way or another so your brother found out through someone else about the idea of a business advice yeah. something that you should definitely have in your toolkit yeah to grow or to get your company off the ground now talking about the before and after now that you have had yeah. business advisors for a little bit what would what would you say has been the experience like yeah it's good so especially for us in our position we don't have like we don't come from an affluent background, right? Like we don't have networks of people yeah. with money and like angels that are, that have money to invest. So, so it's absolutely critical that we had advisors to actually have access to those networks, mm. get introductions to, you know, pitching at these angel funds and, and things like that. Like network, I think is the, for us, access to those networks to make stuff happen was the biggest challenge for us. That and that we was had the to figure biggest benefit from the business. And the advisors was, the, that's the biggest benefit. Absolutely. And they came with, you know, they also have like really great business acumen and experience and they've done similar projects. And so, you know, but I think that access to the network is the the number one biggest value that we, we got out of that, that we just, we'd have no avenue. We'd have no other avenue to do it. Like you need a trusted connection to make those introductions and to schedule those meetings and stuff like that. Or else we just, like, there's just no way we could do it. I mean, unless we came from those networks and had access to, I mean, that's, I think the one of the biggest advantages, you know, or disadvantages for if you're like a, you know, first gen college, all that stuff, you just don't have that. You just don't have those networks. And even when we were going through this process, mm -hmm. sometimes our advisors would, would be like, well, you guys just need to like, you know, you need to start pitching. We're like, who, who are we going to pitch? <laughs> you know, our, our, our family's uh, poorer than we are. Like nobody has money. How, <laughs> like, how do you propose that we make this happen? Yeah, so yeah. It, yeah, that was really, really the biggest, um, those relationships, the networks that they gave us introductions to were the biggest. If we didn't have those, then Joe wouldn't be a thing. We wouldn't be funded and, and it would have died. So you get the business advisors. The business advisor uh, gets you access to leverage the trust that these people have built mm -hmm. with people who can fund your company. Mm -hmm. Now you're back into the same spot that you were at Microsoft mm -hmm. where you have this high-pressure environment mm -hmm. where if something goes wrong, yeah, in this case, you don't get funding. You lose your job or you lose your chance in this case. Yeah. What's the difference between those two scenarios to make one worth pursuing and the other one mm -hmm. deciding changing? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, it's important to consider that like the half step between these things where I left, I left my role at Zillow just to do freelance and, you know, got, got one client. Uh, it was called Apnique to work 20 hours a week and just like I sat down with my wife. It's like, okay, we can pay the bills. She knew, she, you know, we talked a lot about what I was going through and I was like, I just think that I need to be able to, to do work that I really want to do. And just, I, you know, this, the environment of corporate, I think is too stifling for me. I need to make it, I need to make a move into startup, whether it's like my own or it's working with, with somebody else where just things are more fluid. Um, so I did that. I took, 
you know, half the pay basically, just barely covering the bills, put a, lot, a ton of financial stress on our family, especially considering when, um, I mean, twins. we just had twins, <laughs> you know, we have a mortgage, <clears throat> you know, we have, we have family on both sides that look to us for support as well. So that was the biggest thing. Like that kind of took the pressure off and allowed me to start focusing more on Joe and take that seriously. And so going into it, like my whole like chemistry felt like it was changing. Like I was felt, you know, I, I would put myself in similar situations where we're going into coffee shops and selling and going to like conferences. And I was like, wow, it's so different. You know, I remember being in a corporate setting and they'd have like the cocktail hour and I was like, oh, this like forced networking. I was like, oh, this is not for me. But then I'm in that situation when it's like my thing. It's like something or something that I feel like um, I have a real stake in. And it's, you know, I, I don't want to just do it for me. I want to do it because I want to make my brother successful too. And I want to, hmm. you know, I want to um, really create value for this. And then when we started seeing th- how this could change the businesses that we worked with. So we had these small shops that we work with that would grow revenue $10,000 a month once they came on Joe. And then they could hire another barista. And then they, they didn't have to work as much and they could spend more time with their kids. All of a sudden, just everything felt like there was purpose behind it. It wasn't just doing it just to just to sort of keep things where they're at. There was real meaning behind it. It's interesting. It's like you had a clear vision of the impact that you could make. Mm-hmm. And that was the missing gap at Microsoft. Big, oh, yeah. Like you don't know what's happening with yeah. your work. You're there, but you don't, you don't see how is this making a difference. Yeah. That's a That's, great point. And, you know, you, you say that. I remember having a very clear moment at my time at Microsoft where, um, where you know, they, they have this method of cascading goals down. So, if, if their strategy is like, we need to move or, or sell this, you know, 100 million licenses or whatever – Then they look and they say, okay, well, that's worldwide. So then like how many does like Latin America need to make? How much does the U.S. need to make and all this stuff? And then by the time it gets down to the people who have to execute against that, it's like you need to push 346,246 licenses. It's like what? Like why? Like so it seems so arbitrary and abstract numbers. and all that. It's just numbers and it's, you know, on the how you get there. Um, sometimes turns into like, you know, people like want to hack it. It's about getting your number so you get a bonus. You know, it's not like doing something right for the business, not like moving the business forward. You know, people want to do it so that they can get their bonus and, and things like that. Sometimes it feels like, and not necessarily saying that, you know, this is how folks were at Microsoft, but it, it could feel like this game. It's a game. You know, yeah. you get a metric and then people try to game it and it's like, you know, they get bonuses and then leadership celebrates them because, You got a bonus, so therefore I get a bonus. And it's like, and it's not I about like, it. did you do it the right way? Is this like really creating value for people? It's just like we hit numbers and it just felt so arbitrary and just like not, that's what I meant when it's, it's like, like, you don't feel connected to it. Nick, you're doing great. I don't even know what you're doing. Don't tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Not to say there's anything like nefarious going on, but yeah. it was just like the why behind things just seemed so cloudy. You know mm. what I mean? And so that changed. Uh, when you can like look a business owner in the face and, and see like you're bringing business to them and it's making their life easier that's like really meaningful um and so that was a big difference so then when it just to bring it back to your original question so then when it came to being in those positions where you know hey we gotta we gotta raise money um it it didn't feel as scary like it felt Mm -hmm. like i mean it was still i I was still like you know wrestling with stuff and it Mm -hmm. was it was scary but i had more confidence like the the why the reason why i was there uh, i felt more connected to so it didn't feel the same it was pressure and it was stress But it wasn't it wasn't the same kind. It felt like a it felt like a positive type of energy behind it and not not a scary, negative, kind of like you don't belong here sort of a thing. Yeah. Um it was like, hey, we're creating something 
and this is going to be hard, but like it's worth it and exciting. And, and I mean, it's it's the hardest thing we've ever done. I mean, it was way harder. Like the emotional stress and the ups and downs. Like it's been way more challenging than you know doing jobs at corporate. But but it's like a positive energy behind it. So it just it feels worth it. You know. Yeah. One thing that you you really quick mention is that you know you, you took a paycheck cut mm -hmm. and then you you had to to talk with your wife about it, mm -hmm. right? And that's a, a conversation that I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs want to be mm -hmm. have top of mind. Yeah. Um, how do you manage expectations from then to now and mm -hmm. as we go forward? Man, I mean, I think I set multiple <laughs> deadlines <laughs> and then they, they kept going because in addition to taking the pay cut, we were still, we were paying contractors, developers, yeah. And so it was very much, and I mean, things got really, really hard. Like it was really, I mean, money was extremely tight, you know, money being tight. Credit debt is piling up, you know what I okay, mean? And yeah. there's like no clear thing. And so we'd have, there was many nights where we had conversations where I'm like, you know, where we're, Vanessa saying, you know, what's next? Like, when is, when are we going to get some relief on this? And I'm like, you know, maybe I should just, I should just go back to corporate. And I, you know, there's multiple times where I started applying and stuff like that, but then, we would get a little spark somewhere on Joe, you know, like we, we went live with our beta and then we had 75 partners sign up, you know, and it's like, and, and Vanessa was super supportive and she's like, I believe this is going to be successful. I want this to be successful. And so through that, it'd be like, okay, well just give me through like March, you know, once March comes, we'll know, like, we'll know either we pull the plug or we keep going and then March comes and it's still in like, uh, you know, I'm like, I think this last March is when we were starting to really pitch uh, investors and, So I was like, okay, we're starting to pitch. Give me till, give me till June, you know, <laughs> and then just three months at a time. And then, uh, and then we finally got, you know, we got funding, uh, August 17th. And so, so it's, yeah, it was, it was a lot of that. I was super blessed in that, you know, Vanessa's really supportive. She saw, she saw my whole journey. I've known her since I was 21 years old. So she's been with me through my initial, my first job out of school to Microsoft to Zillow and, and just what that whole thing has, has looked like. And, um, and so we've had a lot of conversations on the way. One of the big things that, uh, she's, um, uh, you know, she's first generation, um, Mexican, first to go to, to school in her family as well. And so we talked a lot about how different opportunities or like how you think about things coming out of school are and how it can feel like when you feel like you're the one that your family is going to like you take the safe bet you know what I mean you kind of do what mm -hmm. feels safe initially a lot of times you take yeah. that corporate job and stuff like that and so we kind of had this dialogue all going on where or all along where at that point where I was like maybe I shouldn't have taken the safe bet maybe I should have followed what I felt passionate about out of school and I'd be better off than doing what I thought was gonna you know bring the 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 house and the money and all that stuff so mm -hmm. by the time You know, I said, I think I want to make this big leap. She was kind of there with me already mm -hmm. and was kind of like down to, okay, like, I just want you to be happy. So, let's figure out what that's going to take. So, she was tolerant when I moved that timeline from January to March <laughs> to June. That's beautiful. And, and that sort of a thing. Yeah. Let's talk about the, building your team of co-founders. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just you, your brother, and the CTO. Yeah. Right? And it was initially just you and your brother. Mm -hmm. How did you approach finding out? What would be the the best way to set a, the equity share yeah. for the co-founders? How, how do you go about it? Did you do the research? Did your brother already knew? Yeah. 
And and then also talk about, you know, because these are scenarios where it's for, for people listening, you know, uh, there is things that, such as ego. Mm-hmm. We came up with the idea. Then there is the ego from the, the CTO mm-hmm. that can come into the situation where, well, I am the one bringing the skills. How did that play out for you and yeah. how do you make those decisions? Yeah. Um, so when we... You know, I talked a little bit about the the journey we went through in terms of the technical side and building the product. So by the time we met Lenny or or uh, started having a conversation with with Lenny, our CTO, to to come on board, we knew very clearly like how hard it is to get talented tech expertise to jump in and 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 do something on the product um, and to to buy in, you know, to the vision. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was part of it. And the other part was Lenny was just like such an awesome fit with us. All three of us, I think, are pretty good at checking our ego. We all want to create something. Like we're driven by the opportunity to create and do something that influences other other people and to like make make a mark. Mm-hmm. We're not motivated by money, by status. Mm-hmm. I, we've had talks, me and my brother, I, I, like, I feel uncomfortable at times being like, oh, Nick's the CEO, you know, because I'm like, okay, don't, you know, or they'll joke around like, oh, Nick's the boss. It's like, shut up. Like, <laughs> I'm not, you know, because we don't yeah. make decisions that way. It's not yeah. me being like executive decisions, yeah. whatever. It's just like, we're all going to do whatever it takes to make this thing successful. Like, yeah. we're, we're going to work ourselves to the bone. And I have no problem sort of like, if I have a, a strong opinion, like checking myself on it and be like, okay, well, like, I don't want to, we don't want to be in a position where we're forcing anything on anybody. So anyway, that's just all to say that our personalities all kind of matched up that way, I think. And and when we talked about bringing Lenny on board, so he was a senior engineer at Microsoft, quit, took six months to hike the Pacific Coast Trail and was, and then came back and was like just starting to interview, was, um, had offers uh, as in, in senior roles at Google and Snapchat and Facebook. Wow. And so, so we met with him and, you know, we grabbed a beer and we're, we're just talking and, and the, the story behind what we wanted to do, it wasn't like, Hey, we're going to make a ton of money. We're going to do this. It's like, Hey, like, let's, this is a really cool opportunity where we can affect these people's lives. Like we get to create a service that really helps these small business owners, you know, have a chance against these, this corporate chains and things like that. And in addition to that, like we can be really creative and equitable in terms of how we build this business. So like we can do creative things like as we mature as a business, getting office space where we can also use as like code school and things like that in the in the evenings and and, and that be free. And, and so things that we wanted to do where it's like when we have this vehicle to make an impact, we can we can make that happen like socially and through the business and all these different ways. And that was the thing where he was like that, yeah, you guys are it's funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly what I want to do someday. So it was just really evident really early on that we're all thinking about the opportunity the same way. He joined full time. And he, yeah. So, so Brennan and I were still working. Uh-huh. Uh, and so basically what we did was, was paid him to only do Joe. And so he was taking like a 70% pay cut to do that. Like it was just enough to pay his bills essentially. Uh-huh. But we had all of his attention and, you know, hundred percent of his time to work on it. And, uh, and so he was still equal founder on that, but we we're just like we. It felt like to us it was. I mean, we get somebody that's just like world class talent working 100 percent on our project for for absolutely, um, you know, a fraction of what he he could make anywhere else essentially. And uh, and we got an amazing co founder 
um, to do this thing moving forward. So were you and your brother very diligent about uh, saving up over time to get to a point where you have these back funds or was it credit cards? No, it was, yeah, it was credit cards. It was like, how much money do we have this <laughs> this month? And, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? Um, we we were doing client work, so we just took on a ton of client. I mean, we were working, thank God, Brendan was working two full-time uh, jobs. So he was working 80 hours a week, um, oh, wow. plus had his kid. <laughs> through that time went through divorce which is another big fan, you know thing oh, wow uh you know i was doing the same thing i had two clients was working a ton and it was just like i don't know once you made up our once we made up our mind of we're course. like by any means necessary we're just going to make this happen and those timelines it was like well we can do this for three months we can do this for three more months we can do you know because it felt like we're like we're getting there and and we always had the conversation of hey man like if we just take like one little step, like that's that, we just need to keep moving forward, and we'll eventually get to where we need to go. All right, Nick. Well, before we're almost ready here to wrap up, before we do that, there is this uh, section I call the "How I Work" section. Yes. Rapid fire questions. Yeah. Short as possible, so that we can move through the end fast. Where I have a one last question that I that is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so first thing is, what's your morning routine like? My morning routine starts with uh, waking up to hearing babies crying. That's my alarm clock. I wake up when the, when the boys start crying um, and uh, get them ready. What time is that? That That's usually at 7. Oh, um, right. Although, so I've been trying to do this thing where uh, I go to the gym at 5, which is like sporadic right now at best. Um, but usually it's waking up with the kids, getting them ready, making them breakfast. And then handing them off to go the to the game without waking them up too, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, usually by the time, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a, I'm not a light stepper. Like I, I walk pretty <laughs> heavy, so it's a little tough. But. Uh, one word that best describes how you work. How I work. One word. One word on how I work. Prioritize, prioritizing, prioritization. Okay. Current computer. Uh, Mac. Current mobile device. Uh, iPhone. Software tools, apps, you can't live without three, let's say. I cannot live without... Other than the basic ones, like yeah, texting Slack. and calling. Honestly, Slack, Slack has been, yeah, the, the biggest one. Do you use Slack with your team right now? Yeah. How many? Uh, seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we use Slack. Beyond Slack, if I were to do two more, it would be... Uh, uh, you know, Google's productivity suite. So, okay. Google Docs. Word specifically, and then is email too obvious? <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. That's that's pretty yeah. good. Uh, what everyday thing are you better at than most people? I th I think that the thing that I'm I I think my emotional intelligence is a thing that has sort of helped me. So I think it's what made me a good manager and stuff like that in corporate setting was recognizing i think like potential like what i think people could do versus mm -hmm. just being very safe on like well this is what the resume says and this is what, you know i got think it taking risks on people based on what they, they can do what's your workspace setup like we have i'm like kind of in the middle we have two rows of desks facing each other with monitors and everything like that and so we all have just the the same desk and uh i usually don't have anything on my desk but i have like a very short walk to a lot of coffee mm -hmm. and like I feel like for me to think, I end up like standing up and walking around a lot. So I need a lot of stuff in the space to like occupy me, which yeah. ends up using usually being like food and like <laughs> coffee and stuff, which yeah. is like you know doing a startup fifteen pound gain or something. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's a must. 
what's your best time-saving life hack? Time-saving life hack. Um, you know, I said that my that one word was prioritization. I think, I think for me, I kind of operate on this system of like, you can spend so much time spinning your wheels on just like trying to get everything done. And I just try to keep things in chunks of three. Like what are the three things that I need to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And just, you get, you get the, uh, uh, usually like parking tickets turn into, um, you know, I get the fee all the time because it's never a priority until it's about to go into collections. So that's the downside of the like operating in three, like the three things I need to do right now. Yeah. But yeah, it's the system. Well, on that note, what's your favorite to-do list tool or manager? Does yeah. It have to be an app. Yeah. I just use, uh, I use a Word doc. And, Word doc? And honestly, I, for to-do type stuff, I have to write it down on paper. Mm -hmm. like, there's something about like tacitly being able to touch the page and like scratch things off. And uh, so it serves as like, um, I always have a notepad with me to write out what I'm going to do. And then when I'm thinking through problems, I have to be able to sketch it out. I can't like type it in. It just doesn't work with my brain. Like I have to feel like I'm drawing or things like that and like relating ideas in a nonlinear way or else um, it just doesn't stick. And you store your backlog of to-dos on your Word. Yeah. Document. Yeah. And that's the other kind of hack. So I like, I prioritize what I'm going to do at the beginning of the day and then I'll go on to my calendar and I'll chunk off mm. 15, 30 or 45 minute spans of time all the way through um, at the very, that's the first thing I do. And I write it down on paper too. Do do you listen to anything while you work? Yeah. Well, lately, so before, um, yeah, I listen to, I listen to podcasts sort of like to and from when I'm actually working, I try to listen to music. And the developers that, that we have have been like introducing me to a lot of new, like <laughs> deep coding, weird noise, you know, sound things that we have throughout the office, but it, it works really well. If it has like language that help you focus. Yeah. It's like deep ambient noise or got something it, like it. that. You know, <laughs> if it has words that I can follow along to, then I start listening to it too much. Yeah. So I actually listen to a lot of like, if it's not English, like I listen to, um, like Bangra. <laughs> music i like i love bonger music um and i listen to like a lot of you know spanish language type stuff which i know some of but when it's like singing i can't follow along with so okay yeah, i do that are you currently reading anything or listening i'm reading uh grit by Ooh. yeah is it angela, angela duckworth? duckworth yeah yeah that's that's an awesome book i think that's that's really helped shape the way that i, I think about things yeah, i got to meet her i think a year oh two really is, she's very very nice lady yeah. yeah yeah she seems awesome yeah uh what's your sleep routine like sleep routine um try to turn everything off by i don't know we we try to do it by like nine or ten but usually what happens is i get in bed with the ambition to go to bed at like nine thirty or 10 and then I get up and start working again. Cause I am like thinking about stuff too much. So I would say a routine is kind of non-existent right now. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused? Um, I whiteboard or start writing stuff down. I feel like hmm. if I, um, things are bouncing around too much in my head, I just need to like get stuff off or get stuff on, on paper. Hmm. And like, uh, like I said, kind of like, diagram things out like i start like sketching mm -hmm. and things like that and and once i feel like i get it out and i have something i can revisit then i don't get so anxious about making sure it sticks in the last three years what have you become better at saying no to um hanging out with friends <laughs> which is kind of unfortunate but you know family and and work is sort of like taking priority on things and can't 
can't socialize the way that I used to or would like to. Best advice you've ever received? That would probably... My mom has given me a ton of really good advice, and usually the central theme of that is to being true to yourself and uh, not getting caught up in, in terms of what people or, or the outside says that you should be or be doing and, and things like that. On that note, before we go to the last questions, the last question is one, where can people find you online? Where you're actually active? or Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm kind of making a transition on Twitter from, <laughs> from like personal to, to more business. Um, uh, and so that's at LJack. 85 on Twitter. Okay. I'll make sure that he's right and I'll put it in the show. Yeah. Notes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably that's probably the best place to, to find me. Yeah. Okay. And what is uh, the website for Joe? Uh, Joe.coffee. Okay. So, if anybody wants to learn about that, they can go there. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to the last question, the three truths. Three. If today was your last day on earth... Mm. And everything you've created was all to disappear, but you could leave your loved ones and the world behind with three truths about life. Yeah. What would those be? Um, one would be to treat everyone the same and to look to surround yourself with people that, that practice that as well. Um, two would be the thing, uh, that piece of advice of being, being true to yourself. Um, Uh, because I think when you when you do things based on what you feel like is right for you, it gives others permission to do the same. And I think that ultimately that's that's what satisfaction uh, comes from in life. Um, and uh, the last one um, would be sort of related to the first one, but I think it's to to sort of lead with with compassion and empathy for others. Wow, you're really good. Should people take a uh a little long to to come up with this yeah. but you, you know your stuff <laughs> so this is treat uh, treat everyone the same be true to yourself and lead with compassion mm -hmm. thank you so much nick thank you appreciate it man And that was my interview with Nick Martin. A couple of quick announcements before you leave. For reference, you can access these episode notes alongside other resources at bit.ly slash BTS EP028. Again, that's bit.ly slash BTS EP028. Finally, if you enjoy listening to this interview, the best way to support this podcast is by leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in and remember to live a life that moves you.